Blog Talk Radio. to Teach Me to Talk the Podcast. I'm Laura Mai, speech language pathologist, and I'm so happy you joined us today. We have a great guest who's been on before, and we're going to get to hear follow-up. But before we do that, I have got to be sure that I let you know, if you, especially if you're a regular listener, that my therapy manual, Let's Talk About Talking, is back in stock. Woohoo! And so if you have been meaning to order that and you were waiting until you got the Go ahead with the uh, how we sell this particular project because it's so big and so difficult with production. Is it's not always available. We we do it for a limited run and we're in a limited run period. And if you are listening currently, it is today is June first, two thousand eighteen. And I have to say that because these shows live on forever. So I started this podcast in ten years ago in two thousand eight. And sometimes somebody will email me about a question about a show, and I'll email them back and say, I have no idea what you're talking about, and they'll say that it was back, you know, eight years ago or, you know, one of the early, early shows. So just in case you're listening to this a long time from now, and, and maybe our situation would have changed, but let's talk about talking right now. Is in stock, and if you've been waiting to get it, now is the time because it only usually stays available about a week before they're all gone, so I wanted to be sure to uh, get that little plug-in. And if you need more information about that book, you can find it at my website at teachmetotalk.com and just scroll down until you see Let's Talk About Talking, Ways to Master the 11 Skills All Toddlers. What I've, I messed up that title. Something, 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 something before words merge. <laughs> get the information about the book because I get emails every day from therapists and parents who say, this is the missing piece that I was not addressing. And now we're doing it and things are moving along. So, again, wanted to be sure that you have that information. All right. So, Kendra is back with us today. Kendra, this is show number 342. And Kendra was also on shows 334 and 329 talking about this sweet little girl that she treats who is really, really busy and really, really active, and that was the first little piece of information we had about her when we started talking about this, as Kendra shared with me via email, that this little girl would run away from activities that she even seemed to like. And so we spent that first show teasing out her behaviors with, you know, reviewing the four functions or four reasons for behaviors, you know, is she running away because it's a sensory issue or is it escape or is it for attention or is it for something tangible? We went through that whole little SEAT acronym. And then the next show, she came back and talked about some changes in her approach had helped the little girl make some progress, but then there were some little new developments with a medical issue. They discovered she had fluid in her ears and then We talked about an OT consult, and then again, Kendra revamped all of her therapy activities and got some better results in only about a month, and now we're, oh gosh, Kendra, maybe eight weeks since that second follow-up show. I don't don't know the timeline, but you're here to give us uh, even more information with what's happening now, and I like these sequential shows like this because especially for parents. They get an idea of the ebb and flow (laughs) of how other children are progressing in therapy. And it's been inspirational to some parents who've said, hey, I listened to that show where that speech therapist said she had to start completely over 
you know, that's what I need to do with my speech therapist. Tell me how to do that. And so I think it's great information. So I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that little girl today. Well, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you again for having me. I always love talking to you. It's such a treat. (laughs) So my friend is doing well. So, yes, she had um, fluid in both of her ears. So interestingly enough, she only ever had one ear infection in her whole life. And so none of her pediatricians even suspected that this was an issue, but her fluid was actually behind her eardrum. So not only did she have bilateral fluid, fluid in both her ears, but she also had pressure building up behind her eardrum in both of her ears. So I don't really know how um, how much her eardrums were moving, but my guess is probably not much. So we got that. Mom took care of that. She now has tubes. Well, let's um, talk about that for a second, Kendra, let's, because yep. speech pathologists and other therapists will know what you're talking about with that, but the ramifications are you don't hear very well when you have fluid yeah. in your ears. And let's just talk about that a little bit for parents who might not, who might be missing that point. And, and, and a child doesn't have to have a full-blown ear infection like with fever and red bulging eardrums that a doctor can see when they stick their little light in. They don't have to have that to have some consequences on a child's language development. And so I think that was a really important point that you just made. Her pediatrician missed it. And she they ended up discovering it because she had, uh, did she have an audiological evaluation or I forgot. She went to an ENT, right? So she had a more specialized Well, first she went to an audiologist. They didn't even think that this was an oh, issue. And okay. the audiologist said, oh, yes, yeah, she is fluid. So then we had to wait a whole other month before she could get an ENT appointment. And then the ENT confirmed what she already, what the audiologist had already suspected. At that point, I felt really bad for mom because she had been seen by numerous pediatricians at this group practice, and they all missed that she had fluid in her ear. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that that's a really important point too for when when things just aren't moving along and there's no real explanation trying to track down and starting with a medical intervention even though it's a pain to go to other appointments and do all that especially at the end if there's no change but you have to rule it out and so a lot of states really require for children who are participating in a birth to three state-funded program you know, at the very beginning when there's a language delay to go ahead and get that audiological assessment because the audiologist is going to be able to identify things that may be missed, like you just said, in a routine uh, doctor's visit. So super, super point. Any parents listening that you feel like you just still have kind of a piece missing with a child, you're not going to go wrong (laughs) with a hearing test. And you're not going to go wrong with just talking to your pediatrician and saying, hey, I think this might be a good idea. And if you're a therapist in that same position and if you have children on your caseload that you think, man, there is something else going on here. And let me just say, especially if they're busy and especially if there are receptive language problems, you have got to know about that child's ability to hear. And, and again, we're not just talking about are they deaf versus can they, do they have the ability to hear. The fluid piece is a big deal for our little friends who were in that toddler to preschool range. So great, great points. I'm so glad you talked about that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah, and it's funny. A lot of parents, I think, just dismiss that because I know, uh, you know, this this mom did. Well, she's, you know, she only had one ear infection, and, you know, she right. she startles loud noises, and I say her name, and she turns around. But there's such a big difference between, you know, listening to noises and and turning to your name and and hearing all the sounds that you need to hear for speech. So. Yeah, super important that we got that addressed. And then once we got that addressed, I'd have to say that was in April. And then since then, her receptive language has just really um, exploded, which is so exciting to see. So before, yes, I know, what a huge milestone. Before she was following directions, only within familiar routines. So, you know, when you're getting ready for bed, like, you know, go get your toothbrush or give daddy a kiss. So she needed a lot of contextual cues, like her environmental cues. She needed a lot of that Mm -hmm. to figure out what, what do I have to do next? Um, And now it's great because now we can give her directions um, completely out of context and not have to give her any gestural cues. And she's doing it. So you could say to her in the middle of the day, go get your shoes without pointing to them, and she'll go and get your, her shoes. So you know, okay, she, she's understanding what I'm saying, which is so Fantastic. so exciting to hear and see. <laughs> it really is, and so many, so many parents miss that piece. They'll say, oh, well, she's just not getting her shoes because she doesn't want to get her shoes or it's behavior or she's a little stinker or she doesn't want to go anywhere. That's not it. <laughs> when you tell a two-year-old, go get your shoes, and there's no response, if, if she understands and doesn't want to put her shoes on or doesn't want to go outside, a child usually will say no or will in some way respond so that you know, okay, it is that she didn't, she doesn't want to do it versus she didn't understand what I'm saying or even really hear slash process what uh, that request was and so also for parents you got to really really think about that piece too and not just chalk everything up to she doesn't want to do it behavior da, 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 da. when kids understand language they really do like you just said have a real dramatic rise in their ability just to stick with you and do these little routine simple commands without a big production on your part you tell them to do it you ask them to do it and then they do it. And so that that's always the kicker. And let me just say for parents listening, if you have a child who's over 18 months who's not following those really routine directions, give me your cup. Where's your book? Let's go outside. Go get your toothbrush. Like you said, give daddy a kiss. Those things. If your child is over 18 months and not doing those things frequently and consistently, there is a problem with how they understand language. And, again, it could be part of it could be hearing, like we talked about with the the ear fluid. But a lot of times it's just that they have not linked meaning with words yet. And so they don't understand what that command, that request means. And so you always have to go back and work on, Kendra, you use the phrase receptive language, and, again, Therapists know what that means, but that just means language that you hear, that you are receiving, and no kid can communicate, meaning use language, use words to tell you what they want to make requests to participate in conversation, unless they understand what those words mean. And so this is the beginning for good progress in speech and what kids say is understanding more before kids say words they have to understand what words mean and so super super progress and we are thrilled about that as speech therapists but is mom appreciating the bump in her receptive language skills has she made that connection 
I think she has only because I have said to her, so for, so for homework, how, how about we work on you giving her some novel directions? Novel meaning Good. things that you've never asked her to do. Like, have you ever asked right. her to go get her shoes? She said, oh, no, I never thought of that before. Okay, well, then we really need to start doing things like that. Like, get the pillow, right. put it on the sofa, or, you know, take this to the table, go sit in your chair. And so mom has now started to... Um, to do that, and, and she's, I think she's very pleasantly surprised because she's like, you know what, I said to her, go get your shoes, and gosh darn it, she did, <laughs> without me even having to show her where they were. She just went right over there and did it. Right. So that was like and a huge a moment for mom. Yes, yes. Because mom, you know, like and most moms, she was, well, I just want her to talk. <laughs> right. <laughs> But this is the piece that comes first. And, you know, I love that you said mom is making that connection to this because I have made it a really big deal. And you've given her the homework, you've given her the ideas, and you've celebrated that success when she's doing that. And so I think during therapy it's so important for therapists, especially when you feel like expressively that a child's not moving along, but you see, oh my goodness, there's dramatic improvement here with their receptive language. I mean, guys, as therapists, we just have to talk about that. I mean, we have to beat the drum for receptive language progress or parents totally miss it. But once you get a parent really excited about that, then that's almost, well, not almost, that's easier to work on than expressive language, and you can just do all kinds of things with that while you're sort of waiting for these other pieces to fill in. So your idea is fantastic with novel commands. The next little thing, what are you going to work on next with that? Are you still just going to expand novelty within or new things within receptive language, Kendra, or have you, uh, are you able to kind of go beyond that with what I usually do after common uh, like you said, household objects like get your pillow and those kinds of things that are nouns, I work on action words or verbs, work on prepositions, those location words, uh, work on little two-step commands. So have you, is she there yet? Is she ready for that yet? Or is that kind of to come? So we've definitely, we've definitely started that. Um, so when, when you ask her to clean up, she still is requiring you to give her a, a toy or a piece yeah. of whatever you're cleaning up in order to initiate that. Um, yeah. So, but then when we are, we're targeting like put it in, put it in, right. put it in, yeah. put it in. So we're targeting right. that, and we're we've also been targeting um, kick because she likes to kick balloons. Uh huh. So kick the balloon, kick the balloon. Perfect. So yeah, yeah. So, so we're targeting. Those... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, those are natural extensions. And so that's, again, as therapists, we know this, but as parents, you know, we think, okay, she's following a few commands. Woohoo, that's it. Let's, let's get back to talking here <laughs> without thinking, oh, there are more things we can work on. We can, you know, we can mm-hmm. really expand. And again, for parents who are listening, especially parents who are sort of going it alone, who don't have the support of a therapist that they see every week. And we have lots of international listeners where therapy is much harder to get for a toddler outside the U.S. and maybe outside, um, well, just in other parts of the world, just harder to access services. And so there are so many parents that are listening that they think, you know, what should I do next? What what should I work on next? Because they, they hear that you know, follow routine commands and a child is doing that and they don't think about how can I bump that up. So those are those natural extensions. Work on new words that include 
uh, different parts of speech. So action words, prepositions, and again, uh, bumping up to really simple two-step commands like go get your shoes and bring them to me. And naturally, a kid is probably going to bring you the shoes anyway, but just put that next little piece of that, go get your cup and put it on the table. Go get your, or, you know, whatever, or I see your ball. Let's take that out. Just those next little things that there are two parts there, but they're expected, they're related, but that, that's a natural way to extend that too. And, again, I'm not sure your, your little client is ready for that, but for any other parent listening, no, that would be where I would go next with that receptive language piece. So we, we always kind of want to keep our eye on celebrate, woohoo for one minute, and then let's move right on <laughs> to the next Absolutely. little thing. What can we work on next? Yeah, I'm not sure that she's ready for that either, and, and here's why. Because she still requires a lot of repetition um, to to complete these these verbal requests. Not ones that she's kind of like mastered, like high five and kisses wow. and those kinds of things. Right. But when you introduce a new mm-hmm. concept, you know, it's it's so she knows what it is. She's seen me do it. But then when I say to her, you know, now it's your turn and you do it, she's still requiring many, many repetitions of like kick the ball, kick the ball, kick the ball. Right. And, you know, we talked about last time, and I told you right before the show that I listened to our last show so I could remember details with this little girl. And, you know, that just may be her learning style is that she just needs a lot of repetition. And before you were talking about she would run away when Mm -hmm. something was new or that it's not familiar to her. That was one um, one of her original quote, unquote, issues in therapy is that she was running away from you all the time and you narrowed it down to sometimes she runs away for sensory, but sometimes she runs away when she doesn't know what to expect. And so Mm -hmm. that's always linked to receptive language or just general uh, familiarity with the activity that you're doing. And so, I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all that she would need that much repetition. So, and you can't rush that, you know, that takes time. And so Mm -hmm. I love that you're saying, well, she's not ready for that yet because when we move too quickly, you know, we lose a kid and then you're confused. Why why aren't we making more progress? Well, it's always because what we're asking a kid to do is too hard or else they would improve. And so I love that you're saying, I'm going to take some time back with this. She, She needs more. And that's fine. That's fine. And, again, she may be a kid that needs that forever she may think she may need a lot of repetition to learn anything new and that's just how she's made you know and we just have to know that about her yeah and I think that her her learning style in play um supports that so anytime yeah. you introduce something new to her it does take her a while to master it and then I don't want to say the word stuck, but then she kind of stays there because she's familiar with it. And while you're trying to expand what she's doing, she kind of goes back to what, what is familiar and what's known to her while you're trying to, yeah. to work new skills. Yeah. And, you know, that's, let me just talk about plateaus and things like that because with our little friends who do have any kind of developmental difference, I mean, that's one of the reasons that they're delayed. They... Mm-hmm. <laughs> tend to stay at the same level, whereas a typically a child with typically developing skills would not take as much time to really master a skill and really own it as our little friends do that have these learning differences. And so, you know, again, it's just kind of part of it. 
and we have to expect it and not rush the process, which is what I say to parents all the time. You know, when we jump too far ahead, then we're going to stay at that level way longer than we needed to because we should have hung back a little bit and been a little more patient and worked on these things to the point where she really, really understands and really, again, owns those skills and has mastered those skills. And so I think you're so wise to think about that and talk about that with moms. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Welcome. All right, so what else is going on with her? So receptive language, she's had the bump, which is really nice, and we've talked about what you're doing about that and then where you could go once she's ready. So how is she doing expressively or what she can say? So expressively, she's still still where she was last time, which – Honestly, I haven't, it's funny because I haven't really been concerned about that or put any, any thought into it. I'm sure that mom has way more than I have, but I think she's just where I would expect her to be. So she's still saying, um, whoa and yay and, Mm -hmm. um, oh, for go in in the context Mm -hmm. of saying ready, set, go. So she's still at the same place. Um, actually, she's probably lost a couple of those words because I haven't heard her say um, up, or I think she was also mm-hmm. doing uh-oh. So it's really just those um, three. So instead of trying to get her to say new words, we've kind of been concentrating on getting her to say, because she loves that game, Ready, Set, Go, trying to incorporate mm-hmm. that into um, different activities. You're working on just expanding and increasing the frequency of what she can already do, do. Yes. versus trying right. to get something new. And that's super, super important. And that really takes the word again. You know, I hate to keep saying the same little phrase, but she owns those words now because she's using them in multiple contexts and using them uh, more spontaneously, or are they still pretty imitated? She still requires you to say, ready set and then she then she requires you to wait for her to say go and by wait I mean probably like five to ten seconds before she'll say um you know go but she's not she's not saying the g she's just saying the vowel but again she needs that ready set so she's still very dependent on an adult to initiate that verbal routine yeah and so I think you are again so wise not to try to move on and get a lot of new words yet because she's still needing support and cueing and prompting to be able to use the words that um, she has learned and has picked up. And, you know, for kids like this, the words that you're saying, you know, they're exclamatory words like whoa and yay, and then go is in verbal routines. And so when you look at kind of a chart of – imitative abilities and expressive language skills, she's still back there before you can expect to see a lot of single words. So what I would work on with her just um, when when she is saying those that handful of little words more often, don't, I wouldn't move on to lots of single real words like milk and car and um, block and ball. I would right now stick to what she can do, and so I would – expand those exclamatory words a little bit, see if you can get uh uh-oh to come back, work on uh, 
more verbal routines. So she's doing ready, set, go. She might also be able to do one, two, three, or like you said, put her up, up, up back in the context of a verbal routine. That's where I would stay with her too and talk with mom about, you know, these words are novel to her. This is where she is. So let's try to get the, the little handful of words that she can always say more often and then maybe add, if we're adding new words, add these other two or three little things that are in the same type of word. So that's that's what I would go with with her too. Um, but I bet you've already thought about that. And again, I'm giving advice to everybody who's listening, not just Kendra, who probably has already thought of that way before I said it. So there you go. Oh, I appreciate it. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I, I completely do. One thing that we have tried to work on that's new is so she will consistently feed um, characters in play, like dolls and toys. Mm-hmm. Um, and she'll make kind of like a she she'll make like the after she after she's done um, yeah. giving them something to drink, but then she'll also mm-hmm. make um, like feeding noises, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So I, I have tried to get her to kind of bump that up to a mmm. Yeah. <laughs> that that hasn't gone anywhere. Well, that's okay. Just and it is she like I said before that. she's yeah. gonna be a kid gonna she's she's. She's tough to change. Well, and here's what I think. I think she's probably making so much progress receptively right now with what she understands that she just can't move on with anything else. And here's another analogy that might make sense to parents who are thinking about this. Lots of children, when they gain a new motor skill, kind of plateau with everything else. When they get so focused on learning how to walk, you don't hear a lot of other things because it's, it looks like and feels like all their energy is devoted to mastering this area. And that might be what's happening with receptive language, especially since her fluid is uh, was identified. Now, did she say she got tubes or did she just get medication to clear up those ears? No. Well, the ENT gave her choice and said you could we could either try medication or we could um, try tubes. But he said, in all honesty... He said, I think the medication is going to be um, a waste of time, and you're just going to wait, waste whatever it was, four to six weeks, I can't remember, and we're just going to be right, right back um, where we started. He said, so in all honesty, I wouldn't even try to do that. We don't even know how long that fluid has been in there. Um, it's right. not infected, but my guess is it has been in there for months. So why waste wow. time Yeah, trying to get rid of it right. with medication? Yeah. And so, okay, so she really may be hearing more clearly for the first time mm, mm-hmm. you know, in a long time or ever, you know, if it's, it seems kind of chronic. So yeah. that, you know, you've got to give kids time to catch up and time to Absolutely. learn to process, yeah, process what they're hearing. All right, her other issue was you were, get, you were going to talk about an OT evaluation so that you could get some more information about her sensory processing uh, skills, her abilities, sort of where she is with that. And so mom had, I remember last time we talked, mom was waiting, right, on that. So you want to talk a little, give us an update on that area? Yeah, so she was she was waiting. I think it was a combination of waiting because she wanted to see if her getting the tubes would help with her attention waiting because I think she was overwhelmed with the thought of adding one more therapy. And I think waiting also because um, I think the teacher and I were on 
completely different pages as far as the OT consult goes. But mom did finally, um, she did she did agree to it, which I, I think ultimately is a good decision on mom's part because the attention issues have not gone away once she got the tubes in. I mean, they're still there. So we'll, we'll be sitting down yeah. doing Play-Doh and she'll get up and do like a lap around the table and then come and, and sit down. You know, she's she's still um, all over the place and very distracted by what she sees and needs a lot of, um, I don't want to say corralling, but, you know, a lot yeah. of a lot of help <laughs> staying focused on, on one activity at a time, especially if it's not a motor activity, like running or jumping. So she is really craving that sensory input. And so at the end, and let me just say for parents, who are listening who say all kids are like that, and that is true. All little kids like to move and crave that. Yeah, but when it gets to the point that you feel like, oh, their learning is being affected because they they can never really get to that calm, just right place for learning, that's when we have to really, really look at it. And that's the situation that you're describing with her. You're not just saying, oh, she'll get up and run around the table. Every two-year-old is going to do that at some point. But for her, she's just had a really hard time sustaining attention to a person and an activity, and that's why she has the language problem, because she's uh, not really as engaged in sticking with something long enough to learn it. And that's a good way to explain it to parents, too, for busy kids, because sometimes, especially sometimes dads will say, Well, does are you know aren't all boys active? I want him to be active. I want I want him to be athletic. I want you know, and we, absolutely, we do not want children who are sedentary and stay in one spot. And that's that's a whole other issue. <laughs> but yes, this has gone beyond the point of normal two year old attention. And again, some parents are going to laugh when I say attention for a two year old. But yeah, attention. And so you got to get that piece down. So I'm so glad you're going to have an OT come and take a look. And I hope that you're, the teacher who's seeing her will see the benefits of that once you have an OT in who can make some recommendations, even if she's not seeing her ongoing, but it sounds like she will be. Um, you're just getting those new recommendations and then everybody incorporating those strategies because I think OT has been so helpful for m- most of the children that I've seen that you describe uh, that are, are like the little girl that you're seeing. You know, we really have had a, needed to have an OT come in and say, this is what her little body and her little brain are craving. And when we give kids that, then those needs are met, and then they can move on developmentally and work on new, newer skills. So I, I think it's going to be great. I can't wait to hear what the OT has to say about her. I know, me too. I, I'm excited about that. And just to, to to jump on to what you just said, so I think that kids can be super active but also have an attention span while they're being active. So, like, somebody yeah. can be, like, running and kicking a ball to you, but they're looking at you and they're kicking the ball to you, whereas opposed to right. someone who's running and then they see a flower, so they're going to look at the flower, but then they see a bumblebee, so they're going to look at the bumblebee. And meanwhile, <laughs> you're like, well, I started with a game of – kick about five minutes ago and now we're on to a bird bath and a bumblebee and a flower and I'm not even involved in this activity anymore exactly you know and that's to me that you know kick, yeah go ahead I'm sorry I didn't mean to cut you off oh that's okay to me that's that's the big difference about you know attention versus non-attention when when you're still active at the same time 
Absolutely. And again, there are some children who are super active all day, every day, but they understand very well and they are talking. So again, if it's not a problem for those kids because their little systems are able to handle all that information at one time. But when we have a little friend with a language delay, you know that they're not able to handle all that or else they would be talking. They would be processing and understanding language better. And so that's the kicker too. It's not just that activity is bad or that a short attention span is bad. If a child can do all of those things and still be, you know, totally hyper, that's all right if all of those pieces are still coming in. It's just when we're missing these big developmental milestones that it becomes problematic. So we want to be sure that we're separating that too for parents who might not have made that connection or parents who feel a little bit defensive about that or they're not sure, you know, what what the problem is. And, again, we're not saying that two-year-olds should be able to sit for two hours with you and do something that is completely unrealistic but to have a kid who can participate in a in making two or three little different things with play-doh and sit with you and look at you and share with you and laugh you know for 10 15 20 minutes that that's um normal and you know Mm -hmm. that's that's what we're working towards so I'm, i'm glad that you made those points too all right, so what else is going on with her, Kendra, in this last 10 or 12 minutes to, to finish up the update? We've talked about receptive um, language. We've talked about expressive. We've talked about her attention. Attention is still a big piece for her, and that goes back to we think there's some underlying sensory processing differences there. We talked about the medical piece. Yeah, so as far as um as her attention goes, well and and so the the I think the reason that mom finally agreed to the OT consult was because we've been working on body parts for a very long time. And so part of the problem is is that this girl does not like um light touch. So if you say to her, you know, touch your nose and then you touch her nose, she'll tolerate it once, maybe twice, but then she gets um very agitated. And I said to mom, you know, some people just don't like that. Some people like to be squeezed and rough towels or, or some kids don't like to be squeezed or, you know, tossed in the air. Some kids like um, light touch. So body parts has been a huge struggle for her because she doesn't like when you touch her, her face lightly like that, but she also does not like if you take her hand and have her touch her body parts. You know, so we kind of segued into, yeah. you see how and tumble she is and she likes to like crash into you and she likes to squeeze you so part of the problem is is then if you send her to school like preschool or even in the elementary school year she's going to crave that sensory input and she's going to be seeking that out from her peers so you don't want her crashing into her peers or going up and you know squeezing people and then she gets in trouble with the teacher all day every day that little girl's going to be in trouble (laughs) yes if she's doing that. Right. Yeah, yeah. And those are things, art, that we need to address when children are, even at two, yep. when we're thinking, mm-hmm. boy, we've got to get a handle on this. And this is how I describe that to parents, too. When you let things like this fester without a mm-hmm. solution, it's much harder to change those behaviors and modify those behaviors when a kid is six or eight because she's had four years six years of doing that without any other outlet for that 
uh, that input that she's craving, that movement she's craving for her own body or those things. And then she learns to get it in inappropriate ways, again, that you've already said are going to get her in trouble. So those are really good practical ways to justify why we need OTs to look at kids. So I think that's, that's great, too. That's great that you're identifying that and really kind of putting that in those practical terms that moms pay attention to because nobody wants their kid to go to preschool and be in trouble all day. I mean, who wants that? I mean, that's a parent's fear is that we have children who are going to, you know, not only for just the teacher, oh, we don't want her to be a problem at school, but for them, we don't want kids to feel like that and to uh, have that negative first experience with organized group activities. Um, you know, we right. want them in their best possible state for learning. And so that, that's a great way to talk about that with mom. So it sounds like this she, this little girl has lots of pieces going right she, now. It's not just, yeah. yeah, a little language delay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it's not. It's not. And I, I, I do, my heart did go out to mom because, you know, here I am in one year telling her, like she's got this language issue, you know, she's got this attention issue, she's crashing into you all the time, she likes this deep pressure, and then she has the the um, developmental instructor telling her, well, she, you know, her attention span is fine, and, you know, she's just choosing what to play with and what, what not to play mm. with. She's imitating everything mm. for me. And so it puts mom in a mm. position of, so who do I believe? Is Does my kid really have a problem, or is she just expressing her preferences? Wow. Yes. <laughs> wow. That was a bombshell that was dropped on me when we went to a meeting, and I think my jaw must have hit the floor because I thought to myself, how can anybody with eyes connected to their brain think this? But there we were. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, here's here's what I would say with that, too. We all, as people, as people, we don't even have to go to the discipline, you know, the speech versus mm-hmm. uh, developmental teacher. As people, we all can look at different situations and have different interpretations. And I was talking with someone about this the other day, and I kept saying misinterpretation. And she kept correcting me and saying, no, different interpretation. Interpretation, not misinterpretation, you know. <laughs> Painting it so negatively from the beginning. So I got caught up on that. But, you know, we all can have differences in opinion about things. But it's over time that those things shake out a little bit. And you kind of know, well, hmm, I didn't believe that about this child at the beginning. But, hey, now I kind of see it. And so, you know, I think in this situation, an OT is a really getting a third person to kind of come in and say, this is what I see will help sort of uh, really guide mom's um, conflict if that, or just, oh, what do I think about this here? And here's the truth. Every parent is going to err on the less serious version mm-hmm. of what's going on. Oh, absolutely. On. Parents would, yeah, and parents would rather, I mean, I think parents would rather think their kid is bad. They would rather think their child is, you know, uh, Burn. just lazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those things, rather than there's a developmental difference or there's a problem, and so we have to kind of think that too. So if there is one person there saying, "Oh, that's normal. Oh, that's no big deal," oh, you know, you're going to have a hard time fighting that. So when I'm on a team and I can see that that's kind of the consensus, 
where I'm the only person or, you know, maybe there's just two people or there's somebody else waving that flag, I just think, boy, I've got to approach this more cautiously and I have to give a lot more justification and information, but in a real non-judgmental, non-threatening, this is what I see and this is why I think this way than I would a mom who's really on board because she's torn and you don't want to alienate her by making her think that you're slamming the other person on the team because you're not doing that. You're just really interpreting the data differently. And so you've got to just, that's a hard line to walk. And it is, gosh, when it happens in a meeting, when you said my job was on the floor, well, that's where mine was when you were saying all that because it, you know, Uh. and that happens to us as therapists a lot where we kind of feel like um, we're undermined a little bit. And it may not even be that the other person is doing that. They just may not know what you know. They're not looking at what you're looking at. You know, their experience, it may be somebody who's less experienced. And so we have to kind of keep that in mind, too, and think, you know, where where professionalism comes in, you know, where you're not going to say, of course, you you know, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) But at the same time, you've still got to be on that mom's team as a, as a part of saying, mm, I, I, this is my opinion about, this is my clinical judgment about this, and then kind of holding your ground there, even if you're the only person who sees it that way, because that's what happens to me a lot. I mean, gosh, and I, you've, you're uh, my age too, Kendra, and I'm sure you've had this experience where you may be that only voice saying, I'm really worried about this kid, and nobody seems that worried, and then you run into mom, you know, when the child is four or six or eight, and they go, gosh, you know, you were right, or they email you, or they send you a Facebook message or something and say, you know, I know you told me this about her when she was two, and I didn't really believe you, but now that she's in kindergarten or first grade, hey, you were right about her all along. So sometimes it really takes time for a parent to (laughs) be able to fully appreciate the information that you're giving them, especially when you have another professional singing a different song. Mm-hmm. And they're always they're always going to believe the less significant, less severe um, position because that's just human nature too. So, you know, for, yeah, for absolutely. What that's worth. Yeah, and there yeah. could be parents. Oh, I agree. Right Although I think the show too. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say I do I do have to say I think it's a red flag for your parents. That, that are listening, if you have a therapist that tells you a blanket statement like, well, she understands everything and she imitates everything or she just plays with everything without coming up with specific examples, that's a huge red flag for me. Well, then, I like if I, when, we're hearing that, I would say, why am I even here then? If, yes, she's, exactly. if right. she's playing with everything, if she understands language fine, if she's whatever, why are we doing all this? Where, where's the problem? I mean, that's right. how I would feel right. about that, and I, that's how I would respond to that. And, again, probably not as emphatically or as, you know, directly confrontational as I said it then. Like, you know, why am I even here if everything's right. great? You know, and you want yeah. to say to that person, yeah. how do you how do you justify being on that kid's team? How are you getting paid for your basically saying these services are not necessary? I mean, I think sometimes when therapists say those things, I think, you know, what you are saying that then there's no reason for you to see this child. Why are you seeing a child who doesn't need any help? And when you start saying that to a therapist, pull back because then they realize, hmm, she's got a point here. And, again, not that we would ever say that in a meeting, but if you're having a one-on-one for, 
you know, professional conversation with somebody and they're telling me all that, I, that's what I say. I say, well, then why are you even seeing that kid if there's no problem? And then right. they realize, oh, gosh, mm, boy, I worded that. You know, ooh, that was way too general. I need to back off and back this up a little bit. Yeah, and come up with some specifics about what the child can do instead of making a broad general statement like that. I know. And, again, I think sometimes that comes with experience. And here's another thing. Sometimes we just, as people say stupid things, and when someone else points that out, you can, then you start to realize, oh, boy, I really overstepped my bounds here. I've got to walk this back. And maybe maybe that's what will happen with that therapist, too, or not. And let me just say one more thing, kind of in closing. Just like you have hairdressers that you only go to for one haircut, and then you decide, hmm, not for me, or right. a mechanic that really missed you know, who thought it was the water pump when it was really something else. I can't even come up with it. I don't know enough about cars to even Me carry neither. off that analogy. But, you know, you, you, there are different skill levels and different areas of expertise. And so sometimes with professionals, you have to move on to a therapist that you feel like is a better fit for you or a better fit for your child or who has a different level of experience so that you can really get the most bang for your buck because, just uh, we'll we'll kind of end the show with this. Our best window for all of these early developmental skills. <laughs> so in that birth to three, birth to five for language. Not that we're ever going to give up on speech. If you have an eight year old who's not talking, you're still going to work on language. You're not giving up. But in that birth to three, birth to five window, it's so critical that we get these things going. And so when you take kind of a lackadaisical or um, haphazard approach, or ah, let's just not worry about that. You know, you're missing valuable time. So mm. when there are big differences in opinion on a child's team, you probably as a parent, that I love that you said for parents, that's a big red flag without any justification there. And so sometimes it is time to move on to a different therapist, a different teacher, a different doctor, so that you can find somebody who's got a really, really good read on your kid. And, and I think that's uh, super important too. Yes, absolutely. I agree 100%. Very well said. All right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Anything else we want to close with with this little girl, Kendra? Uh, do you have a good sense of, I mean, it seems to me like you have a good sense of what you're doing treatment plan-wise. You're still keeping on with the receptive language. We talked about some ex- expressive language, kind of looking at width and breadth within uh categories of what she can already do, so more exclamatory words, more verbal routines, and then you're getting more information about her from an OT. Yeah, um, I'm just any other. For that. Yeah, I think that's going to be really, really good for you. Yeah, and, and I think good for mom. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, I'm so happy that you came back on and updated us. I would have loved for you to come back on today and say, oh, my gosh, she's saying 25 new words. And no. Things, but, <laughs> but, you know, here's the truth. She's in therapy for a reason. She if is. it were easy and, and it were, you know, going to happen automatically, it would have already oh. happened. And sometimes yeah. it does happen super quickly like that, but more often than not, like you said on the last show, it's a marathon. It you is. Know, not not. Yeah, not a sprint. And so you have to really kind of keep that in mind. And that's why I love have, 
having follow-up shows with therapists because sometimes it does seem like, you know, woohoo, have six sessions of therapy and she's all fixed. It does not work that way. <laughs> and so no. I think it does really put a very realistic uh, perspective, especially for parents and, and therapists too who are listening that, you know, this is, this is just how it goes and this is actually more normal than not. Uh, Mm -hmm. with a child who's in early intervention services. So thanks for coming back on and sharing all of this and being so objective and honest. You just sound so great, Kendra. I wish we lived in the same town because I know we would be great friends. I know. We could go out for drinks. It would be so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Another show, and we're going to end on that note. Another show, yes. Thank you for having me. I just love talking to you and picking your brain. It's great. Oh, you're so welcome, and I love doing this. Let's see. It's the beginning of June, so how about we check back toward, toward the end of summer, like mid-August. Can we have another show about her and kind of see what's happened then? Yes, I would love to. Absolutely. Okay. That sounds, sounds great to me, so that's a date. All right. Okay. Well, that's it for this time. Thanks so much for joining me. Join me next week. Uh, have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.